yesterday, we discussed two different ways to achieve belief in Hashem. So we said it can be achieved through one of two objectives, either through studying the Torah and analyzing the mitzvot, which are the will of Hashem, or studying the beauty of the creation of the world. Now, a couple of people reached out to me afterwards and asked some version of the same question. Could it really be possible that studying nature can bring one to a high level of awareness of God? One person approached me and said, brought up to many people who say they don't need organized religion, they can just commune with nature to connect with God. Another person brought up a current idea of offering an alternative to Shabbat morning prayers at some of the conservative synagogues. Instead of davening, instead of having Shabbat morning prayers, we go on a group hike, point out the beauty of God's world. And both of them were bothered. Could it possibly be that the Rambam seems to be saying that this is one of the ways to find God? And even more than that, perhaps even the highest way of finding God is through looking at the beauty of the world. So to make their question even stronger, when we look at Pirkei Avos, chapters of our fathers, chapter three, Mishnah seven, we find Rabbi Yaakov says, one who is walking on the road and reviewing Torah and interrupts to praise the beauty of a tree mm. that God created, God will account it to him as if he is deserving of capital punishment. Now, why is this? If indeed it's a higher way of achieving God, it should actually be the opposite. If someone is on a nature walk, appreciating God's beautiful creation, and stops to think about Torah and mitzvot, it's as if he is liable to the death penalty, right? But that's not what we find in Pirkei Avos. We say that's the opposite. Now, maybe you'll tell me that in Pirkei Avos, what we're referring to is someone is walking, and he just idly says, oh, look how beautiful that tree is. But not, not really connecting it to God necessarily. But the commentators in the chapters of our father explain, we're actually referring to not just stopping to point out that it's a beautiful tree, look how green it is. What he's saying is he's about to make a bracha on it. There are certain trees, there are certain objects of, crea of, of Hashem's creation that we actually make a bracha when we see them. And the Mishnah Pirkei Avos is even referring to someone who's stopping his Torah learning for a moment to make a bracha. It is still considered a sin to interrupt one's Torah study to praise God's creation. So, so what was I saying yesterday? What's the Rambam saying when he says this is the way that we can achieve a knowledge of God, a high, a deep knowledge of God? So I think what the Rambam is expressing when he describes the way to develop a knowledge of Hashem is through an appreciation of nature. He isn't referring to an emotional reaction to a wondrous sunset. He's referring to a deep understanding of the wonders of the world through delving into the wisdom of creation on an intellectual level, not solely through a deeply emotional, even a visceral reaction to the wonders of creation, but specifically to a deep delving into the mysteries of the world and the wisdom of creation only on an intellectual level. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't a place for the emotional too. The, we see that the sages did enact blessings to be said upon seeing you know, beautiful parts of the world, upon seeing the great sea, you have a special bracha, they should say. There are definitely brachas that are emotional reactions too. When we talk about getting to a knowledge of Hashem, what the Rambam is referring to is, like I said, an intellectual delving into the mysteries of the universe. And that deeper appreciation for the natural world that will bring about a knowledge of God can only be accomplished through this intellectual appreciation for the vast complexities of our universe and the mysteries that we will never solve. I just want to say the, um, the, uh, there was a fellow, Robert Jastrow, who was a, an astronomer from New York City, and he was an agnostic. And he was with NASA from 1958 until, not until he died, but until he retired. Um, and at one point, he was in charge of the uh, NASA's Lunar Exploration Committee and the Theoretical Committee, uh, higher up in NASA. And 
he said very famously, although he's an agnostic, he said, at this moment, it seems as though science will never be able to raise the curtain on the mystery of creation. For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak. As he pulls himself over that final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there centuries. So what Jasher was referring to specifically is the Big Bang, that he felt at, towards later points in his life, he felt that although he was agnostic, he said, looking at the Big Bang, it's hard for me not to believe that there actually was a creator of the universe, but he was still agnostic about it. So what that means to say is the more we can delve into the mysteries of the universe, and this is someone who obviously had an ability to do that. This is not someone who had a Shiva education who doesn't know that much about astronomy or cosmology. He actually did know these and he said the more he delves into that, the more he starts saying to himself, perhaps there is a creator of the universe. Now, having that in mind, that's the perfect place to start the Sefer, to start Emunah Bitachah. So I'm going to read it. Faith, Emunah, is a refined tendency of the soul. The word in Hebrew that he uses, Midas Emunah, right? Midah, characteristic, really, a character trait. Midah is something that we use when we're talking about someone who has the Midah of caste the characteristic, the character trait of getting angry. But what the Chazanish is saying is that faith, Muna, is actually a mida. It's actually a characteristic of the soul. Let's see what he means. Person is sensitive and is in a state of equilibrium, free of any bodily desires, right? Perhaps he's meditating. And in this calm state, he looks up to the sky in wonder and down to the depths of the earth, he is moved and astounded. The world seems to him an impenetrable wondrous mystery, one which engulfs his heart and his mind to the point that he almost loses his senses, and no breath of life is left in him. All he can think of is this mystery. He longs to know its solution. He would choose to go through fire and water for it. For what is life to him if these pleasures of life are an impenetrable mystery? In other words, he's willing to give up his own life to figure out what exactly is this world? What is going on in, in this creation? He feels dazed, bewildered. He longs to unravel this mystery and get to its roots, but the gates are locked. This refined person was deeply troubled, agonizes still further when he reflects upon various aspects of the world, and sees enough to show him clearly that the world was built according to a calculated plan, as if an expert engineer made a blueprint of the world before it was created. Insurmountable obstacles presented themselves at every step, and the great energy of this engineer enabled him to remove them all. The blueprint of the human being is glorious and wonderful. The planner saw that man would not be able to wear the crown that was bestowed upon him as the jewel of creation without detailed information about the contents of the world, from the inanimate to the flora, to all objects of all kinds, right? So he's describing it, if you would make believe that there was no God who created the world, but you're looking at everything in the world that has to be, it is perfectly calibrated to, for the existence of whatever exists on this universe, on this, in this, uh, on planet Earth. When you look at that, you have to ask yourself, everything has to be worked out perfectly for any existence to arise. So you have to ask yourself, what, what exactly did the creator do? What was the planner, this theoretical planner? What obstacles did he have to jump over? Without this information, the information about the detailed information about the contents of the world, the machine known as man would have no life. So the planner considered this and invented an apparatus in which everything in the world would make an impression by way of light, each object in a particular way. Two such apparatuses were placed by him in man's face, one on the right and one on the left, 
we are in the habit of calling these apparatuses eyes, the right eye and the left eye. In other words, he's saying like this, Hashem created a physical world, the physical world in which we're going to have to interact with. And the only way to interact with this world is if we have some sort of interface. Now, if we didn't have this interface where we actually have the ability to take information and process it through these two objects of light, we wouldn't have no ability to actually have any interaction with this physical world. And the entire game would have been up before it started. Now, the wisdom expressed in the eye is endless. Throughout the generations, wise men have studied the eye in an attempt to understand the treasures of wisdom hidden in its creation, and they still have yet fathom it completely, which I think is still true today, but certainly was true when, when he wrote this. For example, the way that the eye is, if we had only one eye, we wouldn't have depth perception. And if the eyes were too close together, we would have double vision. And if the eyes were too far apart, we also would not have depth perception, right? So the specific places where the eyes are and the way that it, it takes the information in and it flips it over and our brain doesn't see it flipped over, but our brain actually sees it the right way up. All of these things are the way that we're able to interface with the world. And this is the way in which Hashem set us up from the beginning so that we have this ability and we think of it as totally natural because we're all used to it. But he's going to get into exactly how this is amazing and how the other steps of how we interact with the world are all really on the same level. That when you think about it, it's just natural. But if you think about it a little bit deeper, then you say to yourself, it's incredible that the maker of the world decided that we needed to have this interaction with the world. And therefore, we needed to have this ability, this interface together with those two eyes. I think we'll stop over here for tonight. Hope everybody is doing well. Uh, take care. Be well. Good night. Good night.